if we all tried to give a little bit of help to someone else, mm. we'd live a lot better, you know, we'd have a lot better life. Hello and welcome to a Bastard special. It's part two of the gambling review. On part one, if you haven't listened, we had Nick Phillips discussing the gambling review from the gambling harm group side and it was very enjoyable listen from the aspect of uh, everyone was able to have a sensible discussion and it, it passed through fine which proves that we could have done this from a long time ago but it's, it's been rather difficult to achieve to get people from gambling harm groups obviously to to appear on podcasts or have, have sensible discussions so in part two we're going to get the obviously gambling side of things myself on the show and joining us tonight again andrew woodman councillor at northwest leicestershire good evening andrew and certainly our big guest tonight replacing nick phillips for part two is calm berry good evening calm evening Lee. yes so basically we'll take this show in a similar direction to the first because because i thought it went really well and I know it, it's difficult sometimes when you've got the other side of the point of view on it. It's difficult. You, you sort of want to go at them a little bit harder, but you want also to get them to, to sort of loosen up and, and sort of release what they really think. And I think we had some common ground, which I found amazing. We had basically Nick agreeing that the Gambling Commission weren't fit for purpose. And some of his points on gambling advertising, things like that. I'm going to come to you now, Karn. I want your take on advertising in gambling for example so you've got the chair you you're you're the head of head of the gc what are you doing now regarding gambling advertising to be honest the advertising is probably not one of the main points that i've had different view on shall we say i think that there's too much there is probably too much in football obviously kids attend football matches so i'm not totally against that Racing is heavily dependent on advertising, so that's probably a bit of a different question. But then, you know, there's less. I mean, well, the other week we had ITV, had the, was it Tubbs McNally on with his bets? <laughs> generally, generally speaking, you don't see kids, do you, with, with racing? So I think that's a bit different. There's definitely things that need to come up and be changed, I think, or at least be challenged. But all said and done, I don't see some of the issues or, I mean, I listened to Nick's pod in full as well. Um, it was interesting. And I wasn't actually surprised that there was points that we agree on. And I just, what surprises me a lot of the time with a lot of these different conversations I've had or tried to have is that there is a lot of common ground, but we're kind of like, you know, if you if, if you don't agree 100%, then you get branded as a bookie sympathiser or something. <laughs> but, um, yeah. but I, I don't really, but I mean, what was it Nick said about Somebody over Christmas has watched some football and they were underage and ended up gambling and stuff. Uh, maybe yeah. it comes out later, I'm not sure, but sort of struggled with that a little bit myself. Yeah, it's one of those, isn't it? It's difficult sometimes to to blame something directly for something that then proceeds to happen. So, like, for example, youngster could go and watch a football game, see all gambling ads around the ground, then he's, he's gone into gambling. Is it a direct result of that or is it something else? Is it a video game he's playing and he's seen the ads on there? And there's so many places now where gambling ads take place, not only, obviously, in the football arena. What would you say, though, to, say, football clubs that are reliant on, to a degree, on the money coming in through gambling? I'm sure there'll be certain clubs that think, well, we we'd miss this this sponsorship if if they sponsor the stadiums or this they sponsor you know whatever. What's your take there? I mean, it must be frustrating. I, I would pre- presume. I don't really know because this is not really my main gripe, my my main frustration. But um, 
I think a lot of the, uh, the bigger the bigger teams in particular, they they won't have a problem replacing that with, with maybe alcohol advertising or something like that. <laughs> you, you get my point. They'll, they'll replace easy enough. But the, the sort of lower tiers, maybe they'll struggle. And that, and that must be frustrating. But at the same time, I'm sure they don't want to be responsible for uh, sort of like young people gambling. Or being introduced to gambling, but then for me, I mean, my, my kids say to me, or my boy said to me a couple of months back, it was he, he had sort of like I think it was Kiss Radio or something. They they do their text lotteries every day, every five minutes, don't they? Um, yeah. And he was saying to me, oh, you could text and win some money, and I was like, no, that's the point where I do the parental thing and explain to him, and yeah, it's got to be on the radio. I accept that. So I don't know. It's it's a tricky it's a tricky balance, but. Sort of the the what well, I think the guy that was was he seventeen that supposedly signed up and used his dad's account. How you do that anyway? I don't know about your dad realizing. And then to say that that was a result of football advertising over Christmas, I just thought it was a a little far fetched. Although I did understand the point. I mean, and in the same breath, I believe Nick was talking about VIP managers previously beforehand, and I thought this is, this is a little bit of a mismatch here because. On one hand, he was saying the IP managers should be prosecuted, which, by the way, is disgusting, some of their behaviour. I don't agree with that, and I don't like that at all, um, some yeah. of the things that we've heard about. And, and it was a little bit eye-opening what Nick said in, in terms of some of the, the, the amounts of money. But you can't say, oh, we want VIP managers prosecuted for, for sort of facilitating this sort of behaviour, and then at the same time, you don't, you, what, you don't want a child's father prosecuted for letting him sign up and gamble. <laughs> yeah, it's, like you said, lots of issues that we do come together on and and certainly we're quite far apart on that one i agree with you on that andrew just come to you regarding advertising surely if someone's making a decision on the white paper and saying right this is this is how we're going forwards if they are curtailing advertising to a to a degree surely has to be a blanket ban on on nearly everything doesn't it probably bar horse racing I can, you can understand why they keep it for horse racing but there's gambling advertising on video games if you play games on you on your iphone there'll be there'll be a gambling ad i've had several on the, the games i play now what's the legislation here i think it's a bit tricky because certainly sort of with a 17 year old i mean you you walk down a street and you can see you see three or four bookies they've got adverts in their shops so how far do you take it? Surely that's going to be an incentive for people to start gambling. I mean, I think with advertising, certainly in football, I don't see too much of a problem with just the brands because where do you take this if you're looking at harm? You've got the Papa John's trophy in football. You've got Burger King who advertise on shirts. I think it's fair to say obesity is probably as much of a problem and a killer as gambling harm is. And then you get so, into the realms of alcohol. We know alcoholism creates far more harm and far more cost to the NHS than gambling harm does. So I think you're, you're on a bit of a slippery slope. I would say, I think getting rid of the, the TV advertising, which implicitly encourages you to have a bet, you know, the, the sort of Ray Winston stuff that you've seen in the past, you know, yeah. two to one and that sort of thing, and boosted odds. I think yeah, it's a very good case for that. I don't think getting rid of the brands, I mean, certainly Stoke City would be in a lot of trouble. They're going to have to turf out all their seats because they've got Bet365 in the stand. <laughs> so <laughs> New seats time, yeah. I, th- I think it's it's one of those where if, you, if you're going to go down a blanket ban, you're on a slippery slope because... I don't see how it doesn't go into other industries after this. And then who's left to actually advertise? Yeah, the, the way I see it is that a blanket ban, I agree with you that, for example, the shop windows, the bookmakers, and by the way, it wasn't always like that in the dreary, probably before your time, you two, your, your younglings. But... I remember the chains when you I had do, to yeah. w- walk through. 
Yeah, exactly. You remember remember the old the old the old like independent bookie shops, and they'd have nothing in the window. It'd be just like it'd be blacked out on the windows. It had a um, mystique. Yeah, and it kind of sort of made betting a bit seedy back then. You know, to do it if you if you were seen leaving a betting shop, it was socially a bit of a stigma. Even though it was popular, it was still a bit of a stigma that you you're going in betting shops. I'll tell, I'll tell you a story about that. Actually, I got my father into betting. And um, <laughs> strangely enough, and once he sort of got into it, he, he, he loved racing. But we used to go to a, um, a betting shop of a Saturday in the 90s. But we um, used to have to travel about 15 hours out of town because my father was a solicitor and couldn't, couldn't be seen um, in a betting <laughs> shop. Exactly. Sorry, isn't there a bit of a class thing going on with this? Yes, definitely. Because... Because you you know you can go and do your nuts on on the stock market or crypto or whatever, and there's, there's there's just absolutely nothing. And I think the thing I was just thinking about you talking there, and I think it's regardless of whether it's advertising, free bets, whatever else. The real issue that gets me here is like if if something's going to change, it needs to actually be positive change that it definitely makes, not just moving the problem somewhere else. Yeah, um, like, like, I, yeah. that's where a lot of my frustrations come with all of this because sort of seven years ago I made a YouTube video about practices they were doing with affordability and all that kind of stuff. This is nothing new, and the whole click to deposit and then KYC AML affordability to withdraw is just going to move people towards the black market and to, and to issues like to like that. But it's like the reason I get so frustrated is it's like, obviously, I've got some skin in the game. Obviously, exchange liquidity, my businesses are already being affected as well. If we're going to implement such drastic changes, let's make sure they actually resolve gambling harm and don't hit everybody else in the process. Because currently, affordability is already happening. This is nothing new. No. And that, that's what really gripes me. And I think maybe gets a little bit lost on, on some of the, the reformers or there's certainly some of them it's not lost on, but they just don't want to hear it. And I, and I would presume that's because it obviously services their interest to keep providing solutions which which benefit them financially but let's just stop with this shit solutions that don't work that's that's kind yeah. of my sort of frustration and take on it I, obviously i know where you're coming from can the gambling harm groups you know obviously want to see change and nick does agree nick thinks the practices by he, he's 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 not blind he's seen what's been happening to normal gamblers where they, they literally just can't withdraw their own money. They've been asked to jump through hoops, impossible hoops. And in some cases, they can't produce what's required. And in many cases that I've been contacted, and probably yourself as well, it ends up down the court route. It's that ridiculous. Obviously, most people will be familiar with the sort of exposing videos I've done on YouTube with some of the different mm. firms. A lot of people have contacted me off the back of them. And, well, there's, there's, there's a bit of a mixture of people, but... I don't see how the solution can be to give bookies more power, more data, and more affordability and checks to do can be a solution when they're already like highly abusing that position already. I get people contacting me saying, oh, I deposited £10, I deposited 20 quid, and you know, I've had it or I've known of it to happen with people I've helped betting myself. You, you sort of deposited 20 quid and you come to withdraw a grand a week later, and all of a sudden they, they want to do 16 weeks worth of checks. They want to know where, where the 20 quid come from in the first place, which is just ludicrous. I mean, what they're thinking, money laundering or something it's just crazy it's wild they're allowed to do this the solution can't be to let them do that more no absolutely not and but we all know i mean we'll, we'll come on to the solution that obviously that now is public it's more in the public like you say Khan. we know it's been around for for a while it's nothing new to us but obviously it's picked up turbo speed in the mm -hmm. last sort of 18 months or so and before we come on to that i just 
obviously some other questions I, I, I put to Nick regarding some of, some of the gambling sort of changes they're looking for. And obviously he wants he wants free bets abolished. What's your view, say, on free bets being taken off the table? I think that's just, I think it's a, one, another one of those things that is highly misplaced. I understand the reason for it. Obviously, you mentioned the case of Annie previously, which was very sad. But... Already we're seeing, um, or I've seen screenshots of people that have had text messages from black market firms that have upped their free bet bonuses to a grand because they're just yeah. like, people were just going to go head over hills towards them. So what, if you take free bets away, that's just going to entice people towards that. Now, obviously free bets might facilitate the, going down the path of, of harm and, and stuff like that. But, you know, when you look at it overall for everybody, not just the people that, that have had a problem, I don't believe that it's skewed to, to uh, ne- negatively i mean if you look at some of the match betting sites for example i think was it profit accumulator said they've got 120,000 people that make money on the side 500 quid a month from free bets right now obviously that's like a separate area in terms of how the government view it and stuff but then it's not totally negative it's helping people that are in low income families and guess what first thing that happens when they get an affordability check they're not going to get their winnings yeah no, no, that's a very good point, actually. Like you say, I know this is done where you know people can secure secure profits. I know yourself, obviously, you're very sharp at what you do, and that's what it's all about. And like you said, there's a lot of people going to be affected neg- negatively that obviously aren't um, part of the problem. If we advance this discussion further, I don't know if you read, Khan, the statement or speech given by Andrew John Rhodes on the 11th of April uh, when he spoke to ICE World Regulatory Briefing. And I found some of the speech and content in there, I found it pretty horrifying, really. So it highlights the flaws in the Gambling Commission. One of the key statements was, the black market is definitely a risk, but it is a risk that some wish to overstate. We cannot say that we will not raise standards because of that risk. I find those comments utterly bizarre. Well, I don't know if you're familiar with the case of Rubet. I mean, obviously, a lot of the states have, you know, people in the states bet with black markets, or they have done online in the past. Obviously, it's coming online now, more mainstream. You can find cases, I think it was Rubet, that's sort of like taking 10 million a month, and it was taking it via crypto and from children and using influencers on YouTube with 10 million subscribers and all this kind of stuff. To say it's overstated, I think it's, that's a bit wild start yeah but the well, gambling that, commission can i just say i'm sorry <laughs> i'll run now no no no, no flat out useless because i contacted them about football index other people had contacted them about football index long before me that sort of got in touch with me after i'd caused a little bit of a stir and the gambling commission clearly it, even when i spoke to their reps on the phone and explained some of the the, the issues that i believe with it at the time and the email i sent they don't know they're asking their elbow well, words failed me on the gambling commission. I don't, I don't know how. And then, you know, you've got things like road standing in front of that bus with the 55,000 children on it. Where are, where are the gambling commission sanctions against um, firms that have actually gave betting services to children? Because I can't see any. No, it seems to be, it seems to break the rules. It just seems to be big fines, which then go back to the Gambling Commission, which then gets distributed into certain gambling harm groups or, or yeah. projects. That's how it seems to work. It seems to be like a flourishing sort of ecosystem. Andrew, what's your take on Andrew Rhodes' comment saying that the black market is a risk? Some wish to overstate that risk. Well, I found it absolutely extraordinary. I mean, reading through the whole speech, talking about crypto. 
and how we're going to how the gambling commission are going to have this sort of global approach to tackling the problems caused by crypto i mean the man they're, they're a kite in a hurricane have not got the resources to do what they're doing they admitted to well we met with them and i asked them about the issues with firms abusing money laundering regs to delay withdrawals way that Khan sort of described and they said well the issue is that we make the rules but we don't enforce them you know we have to go to harvest i mean no wonder we've got such a problem in the industry where you've got a body making rules which it can't enforce bookies just look at that and they just laugh at them yeah. you know send them to harvest so yeah the, the and what they said about the black market they've got the head in the clouds if you don't see i mean you look at some of the black market rates in other countries france where we know yeah they've got the tote online gaming is illegal you, you're looking at 57 percent of money staked in the black market they've got a problem gambling rate of 1.4 percent italy 23 percent where the advertising is banned they've got a problem gambling rate of 1.3 percent we've not got the restrictions and at the moment point to the figures which should always be careful relying on figures but mm-hmm. the, you know the uk is 2.3 percent and we've got a gambling problem gambling rate of 0.3 percent so you know the, the evidence is pretty clear that where you have tight restrictions you've got more of a, a problem gambling rate but i saw carolyn harris in a gambling harm debate and she was sort of dismissing the norway i quoted norway but the norway black market 66 percent with a problem gambling rate of 2.4 percent and she just sort of dismissed this saying well just because that's happening doesn't mean that we shouldn't try and make our system better but well, if we're going to go down the road of ignoring evidence the, the problem with the black market as well that obviously people like andrew john rose don't understand case of slot players i'm led to believe and obviously i i don't i've never played online slots or anything like that but but what i'm trying to say is that apparently when they brought this restrictive sort of staking in and spin speeds and all this all this lot apparently the black market doesn't do that so they get the favorite slots on the black market that they love playing and that they've sort of like slowed down over here and, and, and made more difficult to play to get you know to, to people like quick spins and things like that so that's what they do they go on the black market to play their favorite sort of app or, or machine that to me says well that proves that the evidence is there that the more restrictions we actually bring in is not necessarily a good thing and it's probably more likely to, to drive people away the people that need their fix i.e better a gamble and have got issues will always find ways of doing so and this is where we're going to come on to the next section of the show so what we can go on to now is, is the is the sort of solution that the the gambling commission have sort of backed from the start uh seem to be firmly in bed with the big corporation bookmakers regarding a certain type of solution, the SCV, which is obviously to collate as much data as possible and valuable data at that, uh, certainly data that probably most companies in the UK wouldn't have in terms of assets, probably land assets, uh, pay slips, everything. It's, it's absolutely ridiculous. This data, it must be extremely valuable to, to market that data. And obviously, in their terms and conditions, the bookmakers freely admit that that's exactly what they do. They have the power to do whatever they want with your data, even when your accounts close for the next God knows how many years. So, some say six years, some say 10 years on the terms and conditions. 
this is remarkable behaviour, if I may, if I may say so. And it's clear the bookmakers are, are taking a certain path, well, the online ones anyway. And this is why I don't get why the Gambling Commission are literally so in bed with this SCV. Andrew, I believe that you asked the Gambling Commission for triggers on the SCV. What would trigger an SCV check? They haven't provided them to you. No, I mean, they say that it's to do with frequency of play or abnormal play. But it's it's very difficult to put a specific way it will be marked. So, so you know, I mean, we'll have to see what they come back with. They don't sound like, they sound like this is an experiment and we'll see if it works. They don't seem to be certain that this is the, the, you know, the silver bullet, which is going to sort out gambling harm. I don't know if it just if it's just looking like you're trying to do something rather than anything which will be hugely effective. Which is remarkable, absolutely incredibly remarkable, Khan, when you consider that this so-called trial, which the bookmakers might even put a double turbo speed on in the coming weeks and months ahead, it's remarkable when you consider that the Gambling Commission themselves don't actually know what's going to happen. They've got no impact assessment, no impact risk on other people that, that enjoy the game, that play the game regularly, that, that provide valuable uh, funds for jobs in the industry. My very commission on Betfair will probably pay two or three compliance staff per year. So like, if I'm not there and suddenly Betfair say, no more leakies, no, we want to see more on this and I just refuse, then that's money that, that's not there for them. It's absolutely mental. Do we agree? Yeah, I, I again, lost the words. Single customer view. I think that there's a lot of all of this, a bit like Andrew was saying there, and then it's sort of all happening behind closed doors and then it wouldn't surprise me at some point they just go, oh, that's what we're doing now. And we were clear all along. We clearly you weren't. You're not, not open, transparent, telling us what's going on even with all of this data. And even so, in terms of a solution, how does this make anything better? Because it's still a trailing solution. It's not I think, the prevention. I think that's it. I, this is what the issue we've had, and this is why we came up with the SCW, because that is total prevention. It's slick. It's seamless. It, you're not providing any more data than you ever would currently to bet with an online bookmaker because you do KYC at the source of the at the wallet transaction uh, from the from the wallet provider and it, it that is prevention that means you've got an allowance per month whatever that allowance is that you set yourself up to say thousand pounds a month or but even as a professional gambler I can live if they said, we're not going to ask any more questions about your withdrawals, deposits, you can have a £1,000 a month. I'd enjoy the challenge. If I'd not got funds in a certain place or account, I'd enjoy the challenge of building it up for God knows how long. Free to spend your winnings in, in that wallet, no questions, you can up your stakes, blah de blah And it just absolutely works. And the, the reason for me why they are dismissing this or they've not taken this on board, even though it's a stacks better idea, they have to be either incompetent or bent. Yeah, that's the line I was just thinking there. I mean, you use the word bent, but they're all financially interested in this. And it's not just the bookies. That are, obviously, the bookies have clearly got a financial interest in this. But on the other side of the fence, and, and they, they hate people talking about it, you have to be very careful what you say and how you say it because of the way they yeah. behave. But, you know, if there was actually a solution that prevented these issues and helped people then a lot of the anti-gambling people that are making um, a fair shilling out of this wouldn't be needed either. I mean, no. if we had a single customer wallet, why would we need Gamban? A lot of these things get dismissed, I believe, anyway. 
Absolutely. This is this is thing, Andrew Woodman. If we brought in a, a single customer wallet that was managed at source by by payment provider wallets, you can only have one wallet, whether it's Skrill, PayPal, NetTeller, whoever's doing it, you can have one gambling wallet across the board. And this wallet enables you to, to as customer choice, you can take your money straight out, it goes instantly back in your wallet. Then you deposit with the next bookmaker it go, and, and you want to withdraw, it goes straight back in your wallet. And, and that wallet can be it's yours and it's no one is basically committing gambling harm if they lose at the rate of a thousand pounds a month it's, it's not going to happen because you've got cool down time as well on top of that so for a gambler that suffers harm it gives you that cool down time you can't just wake up at 3 a.m and stick another grand in because yes you can go to the black market I mean, the main issue is it needs to be independent i think because as soon as it's not independent it's completely lost yeah i mean the interesting thing is that the gambling commission and the the Betting and Gaming Council seem to have the same objection, which is about the creating of a database of gamblers. We can both see that the sort of the, the advantages of the compliance advantages of not having to provide multiple IDs and, and that sort of thing. But everything keeps boiling down to this, you know, this database of gamblers, which to all intents and purposes pretty much exists anyway. I don't understand that. Haven't they all got their own database? Yeah. Literally, I, I'm, I'm pretty pretty much certain that most bookmakers would have access at the moment to every gambler in the country you know places bets whatever they'll, they'll have knowledge of who that is what they do they're already sharing information you know why it's probably so difficult to open another account in your name which is what scv is essentially going to do as well for anyone successful if you open a bet365 account the bookmaker is going to be able to see what what your deposits were with Bet365. Did you win? Yes, yes, he won. Yes, yes. And so therefore, you're going to get red flagged trying to bet with that bookmaker straight away. It all seems very cosy and convenient. And Well, they do, they do claim that... So they put, put up the argument about, you know, identifying winners and that sort of thing. And they said that, that it shouldn't... Absolutely, it shouldn't be allowed that there'll be any sort of commercial sharing of data and that sort of thing but i'm not entirely sure how you would prevent that yeah that's the point how so i think a lot of the time on all of these issues that all the, these you know proposed solutions is as soon as you come to the hurdle of saying but how is it actually going to work nobody's got the answers or they start you know being very guarded in what they're saying and it's because it doesn't work well, that's it. I love some of the Gambling Commission's, uh, Andrew's, John Rhodes' statements when he states about that the SCV is a great initiative because it spots any issues earlier. Well, that's absolute horseshit because, in a nutshell, if you basically have the ability to place, to put a deposit in 500 pound units at, say, Labrooks Hills Coral 888, right across the board, you could deposit a quick. 10 grand over 20 different accounts before any kind of red flags have done. That £10,000 might be someone's life savings, tutor money, college money that they're distraught about, which is the problems we're talking about that we're trying to solve and trying to trying to stop people from actually doing that. Now, the SCV will not stop that. It will red flag them after the, probably maybe a day after the deposits, I mean, I don't know, because it's not connected to a banking system. It red flags it, but it, that it takes time to actually stop that person from, from betting, by which time that person could have done all or most of it in. So again, it just, it's absolute nonsense that they're actually actually championing. And, and despite numerous attempts by you, Andrew Woodman, 
uh, going to the gambling commission and explaining all this about the SCW compared to SCV, it just seems to fall upon deaf ears. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen the article, which from by Andrew Bridgen, and I've seen, <clears throat> I've seen the question in Parliament. We've had the discussion. There's, you know, they're, they're not beating a path down to our door to see. Well, give us more in, ideas on this policy, and you know, I think we can do this on it. It's sort of uh, there's a pat on the head, saying well, well done for thinking of something, and then you know we'll, we'll move on to what we're going to do anyway. Yeah, if, if I can sort of speak a little bit, bit naughtier than I have done so far, I do think reading Andrew Rhodes' statement that we're dealing with some incompetent kind of nutters because the, the reason I say this that Andrew Rhodes's vision for the Gambling Commission doesn't stop at the UK. It's world domination. He wants a world body to exist with the same sort of rules and algorithms on every gambling industry throughout every country throughout the world. These are people that are just, what? what is this? You've come in as an industry regulator. It's not regulating an industry, it's decimating it. Yeah, I agree. And also, isn't this the Gambling Commission that advised a betting company's solicitor or lawyer to seek legal advice <laughs> they, they clearly don't know what they're doing when i think when they don't know what they're doing they're, they're willing to just sort of turn a blind eye i mean one thing that i pointed out several times is uh, andrew Rhodes said in the racing post that if operators abused the checks they would step in like hello what about the last 10 yeah. years what about in february william hill would find three million pounds for not doing checks on one person and then a week, and in the same week somebody else is getting you know they, oh, as far as i know they're still doing going through the checks now for depositing 10 pounds and winning some money this is a problem when you've got a regulator which sort of sets sets rules but has no rule no role in enforcing them it's absolutely senseless it's like teldar papers woody out of, out of wall street <laughs> all the presidents sat there at the front and mel gibson gets up and and he tells yeah. them he says he says all this lot earn more than $200,000 a year and no one knows what the hell any of them does. Well, they're shuffling <laughs> papers between each other. You, probably, about, probably about chemistry because you know, you, you've know you got chemists there, but I don't see many gamblers. No. Uh, certainly pe- well, people who've got a knowledge of the, uh, an innate knowledge of the gambling industry. Just sidetracking, I'm, I'm astonished that when quangos are set up by the government for any kind of like in, independent research, they'll, they'll be researching uh, nuclear reactors and a leading probably at a Hervis bread manufacturers as, as CEO. And you're thinking, what on earth is this? It's like, why haven't punters got a representation direct on the Gambling Commission board to be able to liaise and provide experience to these people that are, <laughs> are running around, haven't got a clue what they're doing, on good salaries, no doubt. And this is the frustration, I think, for all concerned. It's yeah. completely bizarre. We're in a similar sort of situation as football because obviously there's been that fan-led review, you know, the call for the ombudsman, you know, an ombudsman will sort that out. But when you actually analyse, well, who's going to be the ombudsman? Because you can't have someone who's been connected to a club because it might show favouritism. Probably not that many people who have an innate knowledge of football who could be the ombudsman because they've got links to everyone in the industry. This would be the same in gambling. So they are called, there is talk of an ombudsman for, for the gambling industry, which I, I think will probably be a big part of the white paper. Died but, uh, hard. Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's who you're looking at. <laughs> If, if she's the answer to anything at the moment, I'm not sure what the question is. Don't can't. I mean, surely Andrew's saying, let's say so that so the, the gambling commission's position is, well, we'll let the bookmakers handle the trial, but so the government will then say, well, no, the bookmakers won't be handling this 
this going forwards. But surely there's a how an ombudsman could consist of three or four people. Who's to say that one of those ombudsman CEO isn't a relation of Denise Kirk or, or just directly related to Big Corp, where they, they'll be getting favours and it's, that's what ombudsmans are. I, I don't get them. Yeah, from what I've known, it's, it's it's similar groups of people that are sort of looking to be involved with that anyway. But it's you know the the, the general public are completely not represented here, which is what I think you were you were getting at a moment ago. And it's like the, the bookies are heavily represented by the BGC, and you know you've got you've got Duga playing the political game. You see how many charity bet photos he had with MPs. It's almost like a competition to see who can get the most photos with an MP. Um, <laughs> on one hand, you've got that, the bookies being represented. On the other side, you've got the Carolyn Harris or, or the Matt Zarbs who are all, you know, making money from selling a solution. So it actually, you know, it makes sense to them not to have a great solution because otherwise the problem disappears and they don't make any money as well. You know, this is where the frustration from myself has come from because and there's just so many lies that float around of it all and it's just vested interests everywhere. Really is. What do you mean? I mean, what, from what I can see, the independents uh, or the smaller independents seem to be like kind of against these measures. For example, friend of the show. Well, was a friend of the show. He, uh, I might have upset him in a, in a show since about a great a certain ground punters bet. But Jeff Banks, for example, obviously he's absolutely well, appears on Twitter to be one hundred percent against these measures absolutely but then then you see him in next breath he's advertising for compliance officers and and you think well you know if you were that dead against it you'd probably hold off on that surely until you've seen the uh, the review the gambling review results whether you whether you actually need compliance officers but look i, I don't, well, that, I, don't no, I think the thing is that big business love regulation because it keeps out the uh, the smaller competitors that's why the CBI was so keen on us staying in the European Union. European Union creates lots of legislation. So that keeps out challenges and entrenches the position of the big corporates. And that's exactly the same situation here. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, the big corporates love all this all this regulation because it keeps it, you know, it keeps the likes of Jeff Banks competing. And also I think that those those bookies you're talking about, everybody's or from, from the people that I've spoken to, and um, I spoke to Jason Tross from Smarkets a little while back as well, it's like, we're all just shit scared of getting a massive fine because the Gambling Commission aren't clear what the rules are half the time. So, so they're expected to sort of make their own rules and hope that they don't cop for a mistake or a foul, or like you say, someone's deposited too much or someone's or someone's got, got emails they shouldn't have got. I do think, because the Gambling Commission couldn't provide Andrew Bridging, for example, with the exact triggers. That's what we want to know. Not its computer algorithm triggers on behaviour. What good's that to every single punter down the land when we don't know if we're breaking any rules or not? What happens if it's a bank holiday Monday and I suddenly do 28 trades in 25 minutes, which is probably seven times more than what I normally do? Is that going to pull me up as a... Oh, God, look at him. He's, he staked two-thirds of his actual betting banking. And also, to, to add to that, I've, I've seen several cases of people um, going crazy because they've opened a position that they want to close, so they want to cash out. And once they've opened the position, their account's been frozen and they've got to go through affordability. And it's like, well, the race is in three hours. The other crazy factor with the SCV, just, just to put this into context for normal punters, is it supports a view that you shouldn't have too many deposits and you shouldn't have too many withdrawals, bizarrely, right? Because 
once you have that withdrawal, obviously the SCV clarifies that that money then is not in the gambling sector and you could have blown it on a on a car or a holiday or when you've withdrawn it, which I kind of get. But then, so when you come to deposit it or make a, make a sizable deposit back, then it's like, well, they, they want to see evidence that you haven't spent this three grand on a, on a Vauxhall Cavalier. It really is a, a strange scenario to be able to, you have to sit there with your money in your Betfair account or, or your betting account and you don't withdraw it or you don't. That encourages someone to bet more, doesn't it? Yes, exactly that. If you're sat there, I mean, I, I mean, number of times I've done it, you know, when, when US Masters is on or, or a football game's on and I've had a good day or, you know, and you just think, ah, I'll just stick a, stick a few hundred pounds on the... I might not think like that if I've got a lesser bankroll or, or something like that. It kind of dupes you into, well, they've got plenty in there, it doesn't matter, just, just throw a 50 on this or 100 on this. or That is where we're supposed to be steering everyone away from. Basically, bet more responsibly. You know, you're not betting responsibly. If you're encouraging people to make sure they don't withdraw the money out of the betting accounts, if it's in there, the temptation becomes more real, especially if you've had a drink or, you know, it's just absolutely... This is a problem, though, when you've got people making rules who aren't actually... Yep. betters they don't understand yep. the gambling mi- yep. mindset because they don't see that so much of what they're doing is counterproductive I and mean, it's like we were saying with betting shops earlier you know they they had a certain mystique about them before that's why you you'd sort of go in but you know they, they obviously thought you know make them look as as awful as possible to keep people out but they, they don't seem to consider how human behavior works and you know it's to say i mean getting on to onto affordability you know, if they set affordability at 500 a month they're immediately just going to send people in into the black market where they can't monitor their their behavior but that's what some of them are pushing for but i don't know they, they because they, they've got this idealistic way of pe- thinking that people people's minds gamblers minds are working in the way that their mind work well it doesn't yeah well i, th- I think 500 a month could, could potentially potentially i'm not saying certainly but could potentially have serious implications for myself to be able to feed my family, to provide a living that I've been very fortunate to enjoy over the years. And I know nothing's forever, but at the same time, I see it like Khan in a way that why should we have to suffer? This does not seem a sensible solution. This is this is the point, Lee, that nobody wants, I don't think any of us want harm. I certainly don't want harm. No. I'm just frustrated to keep watching on the sidelines with these shit solutions. It's just like the, the, the I mean, I don't play slots, so I never have done in my life ever. Um, now, I don't really understand how even reducing the stakes per spin is really helping people. To my mind, that's going to make them spin more, reinforce the behavior more, and increase their addictive inten- uh, tendencies. I said that to Matt Gaskell on Twitter once, and he said, Oh, yeah, you're right, but then we should do this too. And it's just like you just end up with this Frankenstein's beast of a solution, which is just quite frankly crap and it's not fit for purpose. Well, it's looking that's, like you're doing something. That's, yeah. all, that's all, all, it, it's all it boils down to. And possibly making it worse in the process, which is the most frustrating thing. So, I mean, you said about affordability there, and I was, I was hoping that you'd come on to this, because what, this £100 figure, as far as I understand, that comes from the Social Market Foundation, yeah. which is supposed to be an independent think tank. I think maybe they get, well, some of their donations. But, but having read through the document, it didn't read like an independent document, that's for sure. And also, why is affordability calculated after many things which... Uh, considered non-essential 
But like, I mean, it's the whole thing's even the whole argument's built on sand. As far as I was concerned, having read that, have you read through that yourselves? I have. Yeah, I have the producer's not in it. She has, but. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, so much, so much of it's just ludicrous. I mean, I, did, I sat in a meeting at the, the Tory party conference with when this was mentioned. Ian Duncan Smith said, you know, I don't see why anyone would want to spend more than £100 on gambling. Well, OK, you don't. But I know that he's into classic cars. I don't see why anyone would want to spend how many hundreds of pounds a month he's spending keeping a Morgan going or whatever he's got. But it's up to people to choose. And just sound, sounded so puritanical. And this is where it's all coming from. Puritism. This is what surprises me, Andrew, that under a Tory government that we're actually here, actually right at possibly death's door in terms of the online gambling industry for a lot of people. Strange coalition of very social conservative figures and then figures on the Labour side who I'm not saying that they've not got good intention in their mind. They they probably have. But their solutions and their reading of human behaviour is completely off point. If I'd have read an impact assessment from the GC on the gambling industry, let alone the horse racing industry, I mean, the horse racing industry just forgot about it. Oh, sod the horse racing industry, who cares? Andrew Rhodes' speech, not one word, was down, was on the horse racing industry. Not one. Not a solitary jot. And this is my point, that this is an industry that they could horrifically affect. They haven't got a clue to what degree they will affect it by, by what measures that could be brought in. And this is where I find incompetence at a high level because everyone knows if you do, like when we used to do science paper as kids, you know, at GCSE level, you had to do your conclusion and why this would happen or potentially what could happen. Why are we into an arena where we can destroy potentially an entire sector quite markedly without any kind of robust, this is our figures and this is what we think will happen if we do this? It's astonishing. Well, thankfully, the minister has said after a question from Andrew Bridgen about the the impact on racing, said there will be an assessment on the impact on racing's finances. Now, what we need to boil down is who's doing that and how are they doing it? Because we we know how you can get different figures from however the uh, the guidelines are set. But it was quite surprising that you know that was two, three months ago. How long have we been talking about that? It's it's just it's taken it's taken this long for to get a minister to actually say they're going to do an impact assessment. I don't think the horse racing industry has covered itself in glory with the way it's it's lobbied MPs. I mean, we've got sixty about sixty race courses. They've all got an MP. All of those should have been lobbying their MPs by like mad because they're, they're huge. They're big employees in every constituency. I mean, I'll just think of closest to me, Utoxeter. So in that constituency, you've got Burton Albion and Utoxeter Racecourse, which are the two big leisure venues. They should have been hammering their MP, lobbying them about loss to the local economy. I mean, you take the racecourse out of Utoxeter, I don't think you've got a lot left. But... <laughs> <laughs> I don't recall seeing the MP for, for that mentioning anything, putting in any too questions. Busy. Yeah, that, that's that's not good lobbying, as far as I can see. Too busy doing deals with Playtex, put fruit machines on the course, probably. But, well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. This on the back, of course, on the jo- jockey club's announcement, on fruit machines, on Cheltenham Racecourse. You know, all the Frank, Frankie and Tony McCoy 
jackpot big bar blip on Cheltenham Festival days. And, Isn't and the phrase having a tin ear or something like that? It's it just, absolutely it's, extraordinary. It is extraordinary. We're living in extraordinary times. And the worry, I think, for, for us three going forwards, all three of us, obviously, we have different reasons for doing it. You know, Andrew, you enjoy the sport and, and a bet. You know, me and Khan are doing it for our livelihoods. And and so we've got different, different views and all, all three of us come to the agreement that that we, we're quite concerned because the pe- the people that regulate the industry certainly lack a bit of competence, and we've proved why they do. We've actually said it on this show. Nick Phillips of Gambling Guardian says they they are not fit for purpose. So it's unanimous. They aren't fit for purpose. This needs to get through to the chambers and the higher echelons of parliament. They need to, like, fire one of those big missiles through GCHQ and sort it out. Because well, One of the positive things which you've certainly certainly seen coming through were my MPs inboxes. I'd say that the people calling for sort of racing and the current setup to be protected are probably outnumber those who are calling for more regulation against gambling harm and, and what have you. I'd say they outnumber that by about 10 to 1. So hopefully that's being replicated with all the other mm-hmm. MPs and they're getting plenty of people emailing. But you know if anyone's listening, find out your MP email about this and you know the more people who contact their MPs the more more chance they've got of actually getting them to see our point of view obviously we've got a template on on our site if anyone wants that also racing tv have done a really good one as well so for for listeners look on there it's a really simple one you can just do it all online you just it's click away and away you go and it'll even locate your local MP if you don't even know it so please keep on pressuring because I think without the pressure, I'm distraught at the BHA and the noise they're making, uh, which is minimal. And what Andrew said, race courses haven't, no one seems to be making any effort. The racing media, you get the article in the racing post. Do you not think they're drowned out by some of the emotive stories that come up, though? They've done, I mean, you look at things like Gambling with Lives, obviously, I'm not a fan, but they've done a good job. You've got to give them some credit. They've done a good job of using some emotive. So when an MP sees that, they think, "What's going to score me points with constituents? What's, you know, what's the favourable thing?" And and maybe they are outnumbered ten to one with people saying, "Oh, I don't like affordability checks." But then, you know, when they've got national newspapers that only want to publish one side of the story, putting stories out, which you know they are tragic, and some of them are terrible and shouldn't have happened. But there's also plenty where they avoid. You know, you sort of if you look for the things they haven't said, it can be quite telling. For example, if they won't mention the fact that they didn't use self-exclusion and they had a repeat problem for years. Yeah. But, you know, it, it sort of scores the emotional points and dwarfs that. Do you not think that's the case? I feel that is in a way. Yeah, of, I, I mean, I, if you want I, to go virtue signaling, then, yeah. Yeah, it, this, that, this that's is the time to take. Yeah, this is the time to be alive. Victimhood is alive and well. Like we've all said, it is very tragic, and I'm certainly not belittling anyone that suffered family members taking their own lives due to gambling or anything like that. Anyone that listens to this, certainly not jumping up and down and, and celebrating that fact. I took far from it. But it, we're at a situation where the media love to play on a big sad story, and, and victimhood is alive and well. First hand, I had, you know, with the foot, going back to the football index, I contacted a few journalists, and they, you know, they took the details. And there was only one, Greg Wood, credit to him, he, he, he put an article out, but he'd already had little looks, so he was kind of aware that there was some issues there. But they, they all ignored, and the, the moment it collapsed, they were writing stories and quoting Matt Zarb and saying, people are going to kill themselves because of this. Fortunately, I don't think anyone has. They only wanted to publish one story, and that was, 
gambling kills people. Yeah, and, and I'd also like to point out, given this is the pro-gambling side of the show, that a lot of the statistics that the gambling harm groups produce are a little dubious, to say the least. I've read some, and, and I just I find them astonishing. And this is the thing that they're actually sending to MPs, and some MPs are actually using that support the gambling harm groups uh, quest to, to obviously bring more restrictions. And that's what alarms me, that they're quoting these statistics that you just look at them and go, what? I think uh, what we're trying to do as well is, you know, it sounds like, it sounds like we've got self-interest, but we're trying to stop things which are going to be ineffective and counterproductive from coming forward. Whilst yeah, we, we agree on, yeah, we, we found quite a bit of common ground the last episode, but it's like I explained before, you know, with the affordability, you set it at, you know, 500 pounds is bad enough, you set it at 100. All you're going to do is drive people to the black market where the evidence is there. Take the most extreme, Norway, 66% black market, problem gambling rate 2.4%. It makes no sense. We are trying to prevent gambling harm and and, and provide it, solutions. That's it. We're not. You see, this is the thing. What, what I sometimes do find offensive when I do converse with the other side of the argument, and they belittle you without coming up with a solution. Many a time, and I've stated about the SCV, and I've, I've said, I've said on Twitter, I've said this really doesn't work. It's, it's not preve- It's not a preventative measure. It's a reactionary measure, which reactionary measures are already in place. You can self-exclude. The, a, a bookmaker can say, no, you've deposited enough. These are reactionary measures already here. The SCV is nothing different to what they've already been doing, like Khan says, and already got right now. The SCW, if they were serious about sorting it and not creating more mess, then they'd, they'd have a look at the SCW. I think what's going to happen is we're, we're going to get a bodged-up SCV, hopefully with enough limits for us horse players and to enjoy and hopefully there'll be something left of the online gambling industry for all but it's a sad state of affairs i'm going to end the show right now chaps have reached our time slot but what a brilliant discussion we've had khan thank you very much before i finish have you anything to to sound off on anything to finish not really, other than I'd just like to, to, to sort of reiterate, because I think it's lost on social media very quickly a lot of the time, that all four solutions, solutions that work and help people, not shit solutions that, that move the problem elsewhere and or just make a third party a load of money in the process that's sort of got vested interest in, in highlighting the problem and keeping the problem alive. Yeah, no, bang on. Uh, Andrew, anything? No, I think I'd agree with that. I'll just w- wish Khan a uh, belated happy birthday. I believe he went to the Savoy and didn't get asked if he could afford the food he was paying. So, <laughs> £3,000 bottle, bottle of wine, no affordability checks in the Savoy. None at isn't, all. Isn't it great to live in a free society? But it's not classist. It's not classist. SCV no. is not classist whatsoever. But just to finish off this podcast, I'm just off now to deposit 30,000 in IG Index and do my bollocks on the financials tomorrow. That's that's all from me, Khan and Andrew. We hope you enjoyed this show. Bye for now. <laughs>